The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, as promised, we're back with another podcast devoted to the testimony of accused murderer Robert Durst. This time, he's under cross-examination by the prosecutor. Will Durst be able to stand up to the questioning and convince the jury he didn't kill his friend Susan Berman, or will he seal his own fate? Court TV's Ted Rollins joins me to discuss. This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinny Politan. I'm Vinny Politan. Thank you so much for downloading the Court TV Podcast. What an episode we have for you today. There are trials uh, during the course uh, of my years at Court TV, and, and some kind of take on a life of their own and will live in infamy. And right now we are in the midst of one of those. Robert Durst is the defendant's name. You may recognize him from the docuseries uh, The Jinx. This is a man who was charged with murder um, years ago, uh, 15, 16, 18 years ago, uh, in Texas for the murder of his neighbor, Morris Black. He got on the witness stand and explained to the jury how he shot him, said it was accidental self-defense, then explained to the jury how he dismembered him, and the jury came back and found him not guilty. So now he's being charged for the murder of someone else, Susan Berman, a friend of his in California, and once again he has taken the witness stand. Now, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, you need to do that after you listen to this week's episode. Last week we talked about his direct examination on the witness stand. Now he's on cross-examination, and and it's continuing. As we're speaking, the cross-examination is continuing because it's going into record numbers of days that this is taking. It is unreal. So um, he's on cross-examination, and what you have to understand is the backdrop to all of this is that there is somewhat of a relationship uh, that has been forged between this prosecutor, John Lewin, who is, um, putting it mildly, obsessed with this case, okay? It, it's, he's like a character in a movie who this has this one case, and it becomes his life. That's what we're seeing uh, in, inside the courtroom. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's what we're seeing. And, and he knows everything about this case inside and out. And um, on the witness stand is someone who's already been there and done this. He has testified at a murder trial where he's been accused of murder and answered questions from a prosecutor. But the nature of this relationship has gone to another level. The nature of the questioning is completely unusual, unorthodox. Um, some judges might not allow it, but it's almost like they're having this conversation back and forth. The prosecutor, John Lewin, and the defendant, Robert Durst. Just to remind you, Robert Durst accused of the murder of Susan Berman, a good friend of his. Prosecutors allege he murdered her because she knew too much about uh, Robert Durst murdering his wife back in 1982, who disappeared in 82, has never been found, and he's never been charged with that murder. Okay, I got that all out. Let me bring in Core TV anchor Ted Rollins. Ted, before we, we start playing some of this cross-examination, um, did I get it right, what I'm seeing in the courtroom in terms of 
a prosecutor obsessed, a defendant who is very comfortable testifying uh, under cross-examination at his own murder trial, and a very unique relationship and situation and cross-examination that has developed in California. Yeah, it is. Um, it is one of those. So it is almost like out of a, a, a almost maybe a cartoon, like a, you know the Joker up against Batman in the courtroom. They're going, they are arch enemies, and now we're seeing the two of them face-to-face, literally face-to-face. John Lewin, if you look at the video, he is sitting within a few feet of Robert Durst, and they're facing each other. You get the feeling that John Lewin is going to fog up Robert Durst's shield that he's wearing. They're so close. And it is, uh, you know, it is something like uh, we've never seen really before in terms of the backstory. These two arch enemies going at it. And I got to say, Robert Durst is you know, he, he takes people on a journey, whether they buy it or not. Uh, he is standing up and, and, and um, he's doing he's performing better than I thought he would understand. And I think you say arch arch enemy is, is correct. And the cartoon thing really resonates with me. We're talking about like it's like his nemesis. Right. This is Robert Durst, who's like this old man. And this is my nemesis, John Lewin, the prosecutor and John Lewin, the prosecutor. This is the villain I need to take down. And this is my life. And I was a prosecutor, and yes, you you internalize the cases, but but to this extent and the way it's playing out in court, to me, is amazing, mind-boggling. Also mind-boggling, though, is some of the questioning and, and the way he is questioning Robert Durst. There are a lot of um, hypothetical questions, and hypotheticals in a courtroom usually are reserved for expert witnesses, you know? Presume this, this, and this, and and, and give me an opinion about it. But he's posing hypotheticals they're being objected to the judge is allowing them uh, to questions that are so revealing and that are and and one of them in particular I think is 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 like a mic drop moment for the prosecutor if 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 you know it was a normal cross-examination that took you know a few hours or maybe two days but this one's taking like weeks to to unfold so let's take a listen because this gets to the ultimate issue remember He has been accused of murdering Susan Berman. Those are the charges in this case. Take a listen. On direct examination, do you remember the first thing that Mr. DeGuerin asked you? He asked me if I killed Susan Berman. Did you know that question was coming? Yes. And you denied it, is that right? I said no. If, in fact, you had killed her, would you tell us? No. <laughs> what was that? That's the beauty of Robert Durst. He's, he's, his honesty is, um, it's, uh, it, it dis- disarms you on some level. Because he's up there, you expect him to say, um, yes, of course I would. That's what everyone would say. He says, no, I wouldn't even tell you if I didn't kill. And that's the beauty of this guy. This is so fascinating to listen to his answers to these questions. And as far as those hypotheticals go, I've never seen anything like it, where a prosecutor has been giving this, this amount of uh, latitude. Just ask whatever you want and um, we'll see what he says. That's what the judge's rulings have been. <laughs> And it, it makes for amazing, unprecedented moments inside the courtroom for us at Court TV. 
Um, you know, I always look at things, you know, what is a, a, an appellate court going to think about it? I, I don't think that's really an issue in this case because of Robert Durst's age and his health. And if he's convicted and, and, and if he does uh, appeal it, I don't know, you know, if he if he outlives the, the, the appeal. I just don't know. None of us know any of these questions. Uh, but, you know. There's another way he could have answered that question, you know, and and Robert Durst seems to always want to be thinking ahead and outsmarting the prosecutor, this little back and forth. Um, What if he had said instead of saying no, well, I wouldn't have taken the stand if I murdered Susan Berman. Oh, yeah, that that would have been the best. But the the fact that he just will, he's just winging it up there. Robert Durst is and he's doing it with such confidence. That's what's appealing on some level. And you wonder if over time, a juror or two isn't sort of cheering for the old guy. Because what we have also heard, and this is from the 13th juror, the viewers who uh, are all over social media each and every day talking about this case, um, the prosecutor, some people look at him as a bully, the way he is. I, I see him as someone who's passionate, someone who is incensed that someone he believes has killed three people and gotten away with it up to this point has the nerve to get up on the stand and continue to lie, 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 lie. And I think it kind of gets under his skin. But um, I'm with you, Ted. You never know how those 12 folks who have never watched a, a trial before will interpret all this. Because, you know, I always go back to the the, the trial down in Orange County, Florida, where the prosecutor, uh, ev- all of us thought was very effective, but had turned off the jury. And, and the mother of Kaylee Anthony uh, was found not guilty. And, and in large part because the jury did not like the prosecutor. What do you think about John Lewin here? I, I don't think he, I don't think, is it, there's no, are you seeing arrogance? Because I'm not really sensing arrogance, but but maybe you were interpreting it that way. No, not, not ar- obsession. He's obsessed. He is, he has stopped everything. I'm worried about him. If he doesn't get a guilty conviction here, um, this will torment this man for the rest of his days. And, Actually, on some level, once this is over, what's he going to do? This guy, someone uh, brought up the, you know, the, the musical Les Mis. There's a character, Javert is this, the, he's, he's after Jean Valjean, the uh, main character, and he's put his whole life on the line for it. And at the end of the, the end of it, he ends up killing himself because he realizes that he just spent way too much of his life going down the stuff. I don't, I'm not saying that that is John Lewin, but um, that obsession, that, He's, he's living for Robert Durst right now. He's li- living to put Robert Durst away, and I get it. He's disgusted by the fact that this guy, in his mind, got away with three murders, a triple murderer, walking free. I get it. But it's, it just it, it, it comes out in the courtroom every day. It's just spewing out of this guy, and how will the jury interpret that? If they think he's a bully, that could be a huge problem. Ted, you just reminded me of the longest night of my life. When I went to go see Les Mis, two and a half hours, I will never get. I mean, it was brutal. It was excruciating for me, Ted. We had great seats. Uh, the missus was enjoying it. She was loving it. And I was, I, I, oh my goodness. I just wanted to, I just wanted to disappear. But, th- but that's just me. I'm sure it's a great show. Um, Ted, I'm sure you enjoyed it as well. Okay, let's listen now to, to more of this testimony. And, and remember this again, folks. The last time he was on trial for murder, and not many people can say that, the last time I was on trial for murder, um, 
he admitted to dismembering Morris Black and was still found not guilty. So this whole issue of dismemberment came up on cross-examination. How about dismemberment? Does that make your skin crawl? Absolutely. You didn't dismember Kathy, did you? No. If you had dismembered her, would you tell us? If I had dismembered her, I cannot imagine dismembering Kathy. So I cannot answer your question. So is it, is it different than you can imagine, well, not imagine, you dismembered Morris Black, your friend, correct? Correct. He owns it. He sure does. But that the the way the, the fact that the judge is allowing the state to ask him if he dismembered his wife, he's never been charged in his wife's death. She's her body's never been found. There is no evidence that Kathy Durst was murdered by Robert Durst. But dismembered? It's I mean, it's such latitude. And, and it's you know, credit to John Lowen. He is pushing the boundaries. The more you say dismembered, uh, I guess the, the more effective, or is it the opposite? The more you say it, the less uh, effective it is, and it just becomes a, a part of the trial. I don't know. Yeah, you know, looking back at my own experience as a prosecutor, you know, you are in the moment, you want to get the conviction, uh, and, and you're not necessarily concerned about the appeal of the conviction. Right. You, you, you kind of have it in the back of your mind, but it's not at the front of your mind. I mean, because usually there's a, a different department in the prosecutor's office that has to handle that. Right. So you want the conviction. And, and I think that's where John John Lewin is here in pushing the envelope is get the conviction, get the conviction, get the conviction. If there's an appeal, we'll deal with it down the road. But uh, I'm going to push it. And the, and the judge is allowing it. And ultimately, the judge is the one who's the gatekeeper on all of this. Right. Um, so we'll see how that works. But you, you are so right, Ted. This stuff is this just doesn't happen in any other trial. And again, folks, it's, it, we're covering it on court TV. It's it's unreal. So now another part of this whole story is Susan Berman's body was discovered or revealed to police by Robert Durst. And there was this note that was sent to the police that Susan Berman was dead. It's known as the cadaver note. And the testimony of Durst on direct was that he came across her body. She was there. She wasn't moving. And instead of calling 911, he wrote a letter to police, which is abs absurd on many levels, I think, if it's your friend. Um, but that's the, the testimony. So for years, though, Ted, he didn't admit writing that note. Until he had to. Until he was boxed in. And then he changed his story. And now he owns his new story. And this has happened several times. Robert Durst's problem is he won't stop talking. And he did that Jinx um, docu-series, which was just the linchpin. That's what put it over the top because he was on record talking and talking and talking. And now we're seeing him do a pretty good job of trying to own certain things. But he's changing his story because he has to. And... Uh, Let's face it, there is a ton of evidence against Robert Durst here. The, the only issue I could see is that it's getting muddied by the length of the trial and the, the amount of 
things that Prosecutor Lewin is trying to pin on him, some of them are getting on bordering on ridiculous. Well, and I think the the, tax- yeah, the, the, the letter is huge. It's a huge part of his case. And, and and more focus needed to have been put on that. Absolutely. I, I think the letter is is to me was always the biggest thing. I mean, when I watched the, the Jinx. Uh, docuseries that was the key that was it that that was it that was like the light bulb over the head moment and I think Robert Durst's approach to all of this is um, admit what you can't deny and deny what you cannot admit right and 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 that's the tack that he's going by the the problem he has is the things that he can't deny sort of evolve over time so he ends up getting caught in and having to admit to not telling the truth. So there was some cross-examination about the cadaver note where, again, John Lewin tries to point this out to the jury. Take a listen. Would you agree, Mr. Durst, that Emily Altman correctly stating, whether she heard it from you or not, that you were, in fact, in Los Angeles at the time of the murder, that is what led you to ultimately admit, after 20 years of lying about it, that you had written the cadaver note, correct? I think you told Emily Altman. Emily Altman, ma'am, are you aware if Robert Durst was in Southern California in Los Angeles when Susan Berman was murdered? And Emily Altman took the bait and said, oh, I am definitely aware that he was in Southern California in Los Angeles. He was staying at the Beverly Hills Hilton Hotel. That's what Emily Altman said, and it didn't even sound believable. Well, Mr. Durst, would you agree that Emily Altman's testimony is what led you to admit that you had written the cadaver note, which you had denied writing for 20 years? Absolutely. I would disagree. I decided to confess that I had written the cadaver note because it seemed like I had to do that. I had to do it. Uh, Ted, just taking a step back now, right, because we're in the weeds on this trial, but just the fact that there's a a thing called a cadaver note, that that this thing actually exists, and the defendant calls it the cadaver note. Everyone calls it the cadaver note. And it's so, like, matter of fact, like it's part of our our vocabulary. Oh, yeah, the cadaver note. Yeah, and then he admits he wrote the cadaver note only after... He and he seems offended by this. That Emily Altman boxed him into it by prodding uh, from Prosecutor Lewin. He's now all right, fine. I wrote the cadaver notes because you guys had to go and talk about it that way. Now I have to admit to writing the cadaver. Well, it's game over, right? At that point, one would think. But his weird ability to um, admit things, like you said. That he has to admit on some level you're like okay well he, he admitted it he's telling the truth I, I think maybe that's what he's going for with at least one of these jurors it's fascinating being truthful about lying does that make you credible think about that one for a minute folks all right when we come back there's another aspect to this cross-examination that may have a huge impact on all of this and it's and it has to do with tone and and the continued um, moments of levity and humor inside the courtroom in in a murder trial. Um, You know, we see it from time to time, but never to this extent. When we come back, we're going to let you listen to it, and Ted and I will try to figure out what the jury's going to do with it. 
Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. Mr. Durst, why did you smile when you just answered the last question? I think this has gotten ridiculous. I'm supposed to smile. What, what do you mean you're supposed to smile? Am I supposed to be unhappy? How am I supposed to act? No, I, I'm just asking you would, why you're smiling when I'm asking you about issues involving prior domestic violence of your missing wife and manufacturing testimony. Does that seem like something that would cause you to smile? Argument. Overruled. The fact that we've been sitting here all this time talking about stuff that that never happened is funny. Robert Durst versus John Lewin, prosecutor versus accused murderer. That's really happening inside the courtroom. <laughs> We're back. Uh, I'm Vinny Politan along with uh, Ted Rollins, uh, both of us uh, Court TV anchors. Um, Ted, the tone at times, and it's not all the time, but it's, it's ex an exceeding amount of time in that courtroom. Generally, there have been moments where Everyone's laughing. The judge, the prosecutor, the defense attorney, Robert Durst. Um, and then and then this back and forth between Lewin and Durst where it's conversational, the cross-examination, but it, but it goes to these places about humor and you can you can laugh a little bit, whether you laugh out loud or laugh internally, like that thing we just listened to. You, you're gonna you're gonna be entertained by that. You know, and, and it's very strange, very strange. You know, murder trials have a moment here or a moment there. Um, you know, something that's usually not relevant to the actual murder, right? But here, it's it's been a constant theme. Yeah, yeah. You normally, especially in this case, this guy's accused basically of triple murder. So a triple murder in a courtroom usually uh, gives a sense of tension just by definition. And if there are points of levity, it's because the, the bailiff dropped a stapler or what, you know, something strange happens that has nothing to do with the case. This is, these two are up there literally entertaining this jury at times. What a better place than Los Angeles to be doing it. But I gotta think that this helps Robert Durst in the long run because he is such a familiar, um, unimposing figure. The crimes that he's committed, uh, most people in his position, jurors are physically scared of. A triple murderer sitting, a accused triple murderer is a scary person, just, just is. In the courtroom, it's a tense atmosphere. This is different. This is like, um, it, it is a play that's being um, produced for the audience and the audiences the jury. At the end of the day, though, it's hard to convict someone you knew for 18 months and laughed with over that period of time. I, I think you're right, Ted. I think that's the only potential danger because the evidence is really good. <laughs> okay, folks, the evidence is really good. Um, the arguments at the end, I'm sure, will be powerful, but they're going to be lengthy. And, and that adds to the, you know, we use this term muddying of the waters, but it's true. I mean, sometimes things... It, 
sometimes the best prosecutions are the ones that are laser focused and quick. And I always had a, had a, had a saying that in my trials, and my trials were nothing like this trial. I mean, the, the, the level of complexity to this thing uh, transpiring over decades, much different. But no matter how complicated the, the case was, I would tell the jury this is a simple case. Because I always believed the easiest, the, the quickest road to conviction was keeping things simple and, and, and explaining to the jury and reassuring the jury that it's very simple. But this thing has gotten very complicated because of the length, the number of allegations, the, the minutia of facts. And now it gets further complicated, I think, by the tone that the jury is enduring day after day. Right. And, and OK, yeah, this is a murder trial. But is it really a murder trial? You know, or or is it like, hey, you know, because and then the other part of this, Ted, is the remoteness of everything. Right. Kathy Durst and and Susan Berman and Morris Black. These people were all um, lost their lives or disappeared years, decades ago. There's no one really in the courtroom to represent them other than John Lewin, the prosecutor. So you take that with the tone. And I think there's a, a potential danger that the jury could lose focus that this is actually as you pointed out, you know, allegations of, of a serial killer to a certain extent. Yeah. And without those family members, without those witnesses that are still reeling, which we see in most of these cases, you know, if somebody's murdered, that family is still in pain for decades. Uh, this is so far removed that those family members just simply sadly aren't there and they're not there as a, a fixture in the courtroom like we normally see, which adds pressure to jurors to keep it. To, to, re, to focus and, and realize why they're there. This is serious business. Um, it, it's just not there in this case. Yeah, and, and, and it'll be up to the prosecutor to bring him back there. You know, he'll get the last word in front of the jury before they uh, deliberate. So uh, I want to play for you, and, and we've put together at Court TV this montage of moments that Robert Durst has had in this cross-examination with the prosecutor, and you hear the lines that he's delivering, the tone of all of this, just to give you a true flavor. Let's take a listen. Next question. You mentioned that you started running... Why don't you let John tell you what questions he wants me to answer? I'd rather not. I'm available to talk. You're smiling again, and I just want to ask why you're grinning right now. This is funny. What is, what's funny about it? Asking me the same question 15 times. What I'm charged with is killing Susan Berman. The fact that you're able to bring Kathy Durst into it and Morris Black into it just shows that the prosecution's lawyers have been doing better than the defense lawyers. I don't think they have anything to do with one another. I don't know whether to object or say thank you. If I... do not ask for a stipulation. The fact that we've been sitting here all this time talking about stuff that that never happened is funny. I think I need to congratulate you you have just broken your personal record. You have filled up 18 lines on my tablet. And I want to congratulate you. You've set the perjury record. Does it strike you at all as strange that she chose a program at the very hospital that she wanted to work in as a doctor? 
Maybe she wanted to minimize her commute. I mean, that's funny, I guess. Is that a joke or are you serious? Mr. Lewin, you're, uh, you, may, you may ask if he's joking, but the way, you, the way you responded, it was commenting on his answer. Okay. okay. Uh, are you joking or are you serious? I'm joking. It's like we need a rim shot inside the courtroom. You know, instead of the bailiff, the bailiff should go, ba dum <laughs> Ted, I, I, I can't believe that this is happening, but it is day in and day out. And, and, and it's not just, and, and Robert Durst on the stand, it's happened a lot more, but it happened with other witnesses, other moments, and the attorneys. It, it's unreal. Yeah, and that's just because it's 18 months, right? This, is, this jury was impaneled 18 months ago, the same group of people, the familiarity with every character in this courtroom is just so intense that um, human behavior, you're going to have moments of levity, it seeped into this trial big time. And again, I think it helps the defense. It's the long shot they need some defendant who's going to feel bad about um, convicting old crazy Uncle Robert there that we've gotten to know over the last 18 months. And I think the way I look at it is, will this deliberation be about what happened to Susan Berman and the evidence, or will the deliberation be about the show that they watched for the last 18 months inside the courtroom, right? If the focus is on more of what happened inside the courtroom versus what happened um, back in 1990, uh, then I think there is a chance that one or more jurors could cut a break, could find reasonable doubt. Um, it, it's, it, we're, in, we're in uncharted waters here, Ted, really uncharted waters. They, the, the prosecution has taken on the added tasks of proving, basically, Kathy Durst, his wife's murder, Morris Black's murder. And the problem with that is he was never charged with Kathy Durst's disappearance slash murder for a reason. There isn't proof beyond a reasonable doubt in that case. And for Lewin to take that on as added baggage, it's risky. Um, does it help him? Absolutely paint this picture of how could this one person be subjected to the, this amount of um, situation in lies and you know all of the rest of it. But uh, it's also, he's rolling the dice a bit. Yeah. You know, and, and this name has come up as well, Janine Pirro. And, and for folks who don't know who Janine Pirro is, she is, she was a prosecutor back in Westchester, New York. And she was the, the DA who said, I'm reopening, I'm going to take another look at this case and we're going after Robert Durst. And that's when everything starts to uh, unravel for Durst in his life. And he moves to Galveston, ends up killing Morris Black. And uh, Susan Berman, after all that happens, ends up dead as well. Uh, but Janine Pirro is someone who's on television all the time. And, and I think people have gotten to know her. And I'm, and I'm wondering the fact that she was the one going after Robert Durst um, and, and it was her name, whether that has any sort of impact as well. It's like it's like you, you can't make this up all the characters and, and and how they've become prominent in society and how this is so much about entertainment and movies and TV. This jury also watched a movie, Ted. They watched a movie. Yeah. And it comes up time after time. Like, well, when Ryan Gosling pulled her hair, was that real? Uh, Robert Durst, what? Uh, no, I am not answering that. Or yes, okay, I will. He, in fact, did answer a question about Ryan Gosling pulling the hair of the actress in the movie. And, and Ryan Gosling was portraying Robert Durst loosely. And Robert Durst answered and said, well, yeah, he didn't hurt her. She was able, if you notice, the 
the actress was able to go carry on. She wasn't physically hurt. I mean, they're talking about a movie and the jury watched a full movie and then they're dissecting it and it somehow is going to lead to the guilt of the defendant. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. But, you know, and, and again, you get back to the Jinx uh, doc, docuseries. I mean, that was a big part of pushing this forward as well. And it all comes back to Robert Durst talking. Well, folks, Robert Durst is talking on the witness stand uh, as as we are recording this, and he's uh, going to allegedly continue into next week. So make sure, make sure you watch Court TV to catch a picture uh, of uh, or get a, catch a piece of what's happening inside that courtroom. Uh, also, check out our show notes. We've got great links for you. Uh, Ted Rollins, thank you so much. Uh, Ted, I know you got to get back to uh, watching more of Robert Durst. That's your full-time job now. <laughs> yeah, it's turned into it. Thanks, man. Okay. And as I've been saying, this is unprecedented to a certain extent. There was another criminal defendant who spent 18 days on the witness stand, half of them on cross-examination. Her name, Jody Arias. That back and forth with the prosecutor Juan Martinez, also legendary. But when we come back, I'm going to explain the difference between that cross-examination, which took like eight or nine days, versus the cross-examination of Robert Durst, which looks like it's going to take eight or nine days. Don't go anywhere. For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front row seat to justice. The length of time that Robert Durst is spending on the stand is extremely unusual. At Court TV, we've seen a, a, a pretty large number of criminal defendants take the stand in their own defense. And in some cases, they're on up for you know a couple hours, sometimes maybe a couple days, but that's about it. Here you're 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 talking about he's gonna end up being on on the stand on cross-examination maybe eight or nine days or so. And I've only seen this one other time, and it was in the case of Jody Arias in Arizona. She was accused and then ultimately convicted of the murder of her on-again, off-again boyfriend, Travis Alexander. That cross-examination was legendary for, for many reasons. One, because of Jody Arias, who she was and the way she was on the witness stand, the way she was caught in those lies. The, the, the prosecutor, Juan Martinez, and the way he was relentless in, in the way he cross-examined her, and, and it captured uh, the nation. And that's what's happening with Robert Durst. But there's a, there's a big difference in these two uh, cross-examinations, and, and it comes down to what Ted and I were talking about, which is the, the tone and intensity of it. When Jody Arias was on the stand being cross-examined by Juan Martinez, who was described as a pit bull by everyone watching, and some criticizing him for being too harsh in going after Jody Arias, a, a, a convicted killer, um, the intensity of it, and it was it was Perry Mason like cross examination where he would not leave her much room to to say anything other than yes or no. It was it was classic cross examination, but it was just relentless from the from the opening bell in the morning to the the end of the day. There was there was one. It was like one level of just 
all-out assault on Jody Arias. And we had never seen anything like it. A lot of people criticized Juan Martinez for it, saying, no, you've got to you've got to mix it up a little bit. The jury's going to be turned off. They're not. He got his conviction and and within one juror of sending her to death row. So I, I believe he did it the right way. You've got a you've got a convicted, uh, not a convicted, but an accused killer up there that did this horrific, horrific murder of stabbing someone in the back like 29 times, shooting him in the head after luring him with sex. I mean, come on. Come on. You, you have to go after someone like that. It was a horrific murder scene. The pictures were, oh, oh. So in, in this case, John Lewin, it, it, first of all, the, the dynamics are different. Like Juan Martinez was walking around the courtroom, right? There, was no, there were no COVID restrictions, and, he had to, and the judge allowed the attorneys to walk around the court. So he'd walk back and forth. He'd approach her. He'd, he'd come back. He'd approach her with an exhibit, you know, put her in front of her and, and just go after her, right? And in this case, now we're in a, a COVID courtroom, so things are toned down to begin with. Um, Robert Durst is wearing like a shield, and the prosecutor is seated, and it's more conversational. It's not as confrontational. I mean, there are moments where it's confrontational. There's moments where it's funny. There's, it's, it's the up, the down. It's the, the yin and the yang. It's everything. Whereas in the Jody Arias case, it was just boom, 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 boom for, for weeks. Boom, boom, boom until the knockout punch when he finally caught her in a lie about the gas cans and she was done. In this one, the lies are all there and being admitted to. So you even have a difference in the defendant. Jody Arias did not want to give any ground or admit to doing anything wrong at any moment. Right? And she tried to play the role of victim. Robert Durst is, 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 is as we've been saying, admitting to all these lies. And yeah, I did that. I did that. I did that. And, but trying to use humor and trying to use some level of personality rather than trying to play the victim like uh, Jody Arias did when she was crying on the stand on day five of cross-examination and people then attacking the prosecutor for, oh my goodness, they're going to feel sorry for her. They didn't feel sorry for her because they saw the facts. So how this turns out, I don't have the answer. I don't because we've never been here before. You know, if this was a relentless cross-examination and it was similar to what happened in the Arias case, I, I might have a venture, a very educated uh, guess as to how the jury's taking it, but I just don't know here. I don't know because the way it's playing, it's playing like a, a, a show within a show, you know, a, a, a trial within a trial, a battle within a battle. And um, the hope for the prosecution has to be that he's not perceived as someone being arrogant and ruthless and, and bullying someone who deserves some level of sympathy. You've got to hope that uh, Robert Durst is not charming anyone. Um, and, and for the defense, you want the opposite, right? You want Robert Durst to be humanized. The longer he's on the stand, the longer they get to know him and perhaps, um, you know, think a little differently about him than they would uh, most accused murderers who are also being uh, accused of murdering two other people at a trial and have admitted to lying about things for decades. So we'll see how it turns out, but you got to watch. You got to watch to see how it turns out. And you can watch it, of course, on Court TV, your front row seat to justice. We're not just a podcast, folks. We are a network that brings you these trials, uh, cameras, microphones inside the courtroom. Um, if you have a digital antenna and, and you can't find us, just rescan that antenna to find our signal. And as I mentioned before, check the show notes because you can uh, link up to clips and, and 
uh, information about the case to bring you up to speed if you're not up to speed, or if you just want to watch something again, uh, you, you can do that as well. Um, that's it for me this week. I am sure next week we'll be back talking more about Robert Durst, and, and he'll probably, well, he may very well still be on the witness stand. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but you got to tune in to see how it's going to turn out. I'm Vinny Politan. Thanks for listening and downloading. Have a great week, and don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.